Hello everyone and welcome to Volume 3, Issue 108, Mark of the Ninja. You can play along with Kane and Rince, Volume 3. The next five issues are Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 2, The Lost Levels, and Super Mario Brothers 3, Super Monkey Ball. Yes. Then we're going to have a little bit of a Christmas break, so we'll be uh, uh, going away and spending time with our families. But then we come back um, in January with Nier, Hitman, Blood Money, and Cave Shoot uh, 'em Ups. Uh, head to com for the full schedule, the blog, and the links on the forum, uh, and so forth and so on. You know, our Facebook page, Twitter feed, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Please review and rate us. Uh, joining me, Joshua Garrity, uh, this issue, James Carter. Oh. Uh, Darren Gargett. I wish I was a ninja. Well... Yeah. Anyway, and uh, very special guest this issue, lead designer on Mark of the Ninja, formerly of Clay Entertainment and now a part of Campo Santo, uh, which is a very exciting development team with people like Jake Rodkin, Ollie Moss, uh, Sean Vanderman, Will Armstrong and Nels Anderson himself. That That sounds like a really exciting bunch of people. Um, so welcome, Nels. Thank you for coming on. Of course. Thank you very much for extending an invitation. Cool. Um, so, Mark of the Ninja, released in 2012 uh, by Clay Entertainment. Uh, Clay's previous games include Eats and Eats Chowdown. Uh, Clay, I believe Clay assisted on M+. Am I right in saying that, uh, Nell? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was before my time, but indeed yeah. they did. There was an MMO called Sugar Rush that was cancelled. Yeah. Uh, there's and, Shang- and MMO is charitable. It was more like an arena brawler way back in like 2008 when having yeah. that online was still kind of all. It was like Smash Brothers, but on PC. I think the game where I became familiar with Clay was Shank, and uh, then the sequel Shank 2 was released in 2012 also. And uh, since then, after Mark of the Ninja, Don't Starve came out and Eat Munchies and Incognito are currently in development. Now, Nels, um just as a uh, introduction, um could you tell us uh, what events transpired to you um starting work at Clay and how did the concept of Mark of the Ninja come into being? Yeah, um so Technically, the uh, the deal for Mark of the Ninja was signed with Microsoft before I showed up to help on it, but it was only signed in like a very high level, like vague kind of way. Like um, Clay had, and Clay often does this because a lot of the art folks at Clay used to work in cartoon animation, which is is obvious and is the reason why the games look the way they do. Um, yeah. So as part of that process on, like, pitching Ninja, uh, we created this, like, gameplay mock-up video. So it was supposed to look like gameplay, even though it was all just, like, pre-canned, animated in Flash. But it was like, oh, this is how the game will look and feel, hypothetically, down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, So that video was basically all that existed, and that was just kind of a, okay, cool, make a 2D game about a Ninja. And those were really, like... That was it, as far as constraints were concerned. It was like a 2D game about a ninja, and it could have gone anywhere from there. Um, 
So when I when I uh, showed up to help on it, it could have been very much like uh, we could have just made a beat 'em up that was very much in the style of like the NES Ninja Gaidens or something like that. Um, but obviously, we didn't want to do that. You know, Clay had just made two brawlers. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> we didn't really want to get pigeonholed in the brawler game, and there wasn't really anything like didn't feel like there was interesting territory there. It'd just be for all intents and purposes, right? Something like that would basically just be like a palette swamp for Shank. And that's not that's not interesting. That's not exciting. Um, but I had always really, really liked stealth games. Um, Thief was kind of the, the first big one that really lodged in my consciousness and never really left. Um, so I was like, oh well, we 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 totally like it's a game about a ninja. Like if you if you want to make a stealth game, it's harder to have a better like fictional archetype for a sneaky person than ninja so <laughs> yeah. it would be it would be a wholly wasted opportunity to not make ninja a mm. 2d self game so that's what we decided to do uh even though no one at the time had really made uh 2d stealth games really mm. um so there was a lot of stuff we had to figure out along <laughs> the way <laughs> but eventually it got there it seems Oh, well, that's an understatement, Nelson. <laughs> I think. Um, um, uh, so, uh, Darren and James, I want to know: um, Were you aware of Mark of the Ninja before release, and were you interested in the stealth genre at all uh, before playing this game? So, start with Darren. So, yeah, the stealth genre for me has been really hit and miss. Uh, it's largely down to my impatience and you know the the my inability to to stealth. It's I've always been a bit rubbish. Like Thief, I played Thief one and two, and I was the guy who was just running around like a like a turtle melon, just sort of you know, oh, I've been spotted. I better just restart. And I, I slowly but surely I got into the stealth genre with Metal Gear Solid, and I, I really appreciated that. And then it kind of went from there again with it being more of a hit and miss thing with me. Like um, Dishonored for me, you could choose to be stealthy, and I tried to be stealthy as much as I could. But as soon as the you know the the stuff went down in terms of gameplay, in terms of everyone having combat, I sort of felt like I'd lost, if you know what I mean. It's it's quite hard to explain, but every time I felt like I got spotted in these games, I felt like I, I failed as a player. So the stealth genre for me has been really sort of one that I avoided, but then when I saw a, a game about a ninja was coming out, I, my mind flashed back to Tenchu, and I was like, I, I, yeah. love, I love Tenchu, that game was brilliant. Uh, Tenchu yeah. one on, the, on the PS1 was like one of my favourites. And it brought back all these memories of the music of Tenchu and just the vibe that game was giving off. And I was like, well, I'm going to watch this giant bomb quick look and see how, how it plays and how, you know, how, how it treats the, how it respects the player with the pad in the hand. And from what I could tell from Brad Shoemaker, he was saying like, this game controls like a dream and it, it gives you the, all the information you need as the ninja to successfully sneak or, you know, kill the guys in the level. So I was like, okay, I put that on my wish list on Steam and a Steam sale happened and I picked it up. <laughs> yeah the stealth genre is is pretty much my favorite uh back to not as as early as uh as tenchu but um hitman and and splinter cell um are the two games that really got me into the stealth genre um very different games and i guess splinter cell more of a of a direct comparison to to mark of the ninja than than hitman is um and and since then, anything that any time I hear the word stealth, my ears prick up and I sort of turn as if a meerkat startled and and take note <laughs> of, of, of stealth games whenever they come up. Uh, Thief is a 
about the only series that I haven't actually played much of at all. Everything else, you know, even stuff like uh, Deus Ex, I've been back to, and for me, although it's not strictly a stealth game, for me it, it is. That's the way I, I played it. Um, uh, and and so yeah, when uh, when Shank Two was being announced, and then you know Mark of the Ninja was was um, obviously very close to that in terms of the announcement. I I immediately took note of that. Um, having seen a lot of Shank but not played it, um, I I got to know the name Clay and to hear them taking that art style, which particularly stood out to me in Shank, and um, and applying it in a 2D fashion as a stealth game. That sounded like something I'd not seen before and definitely got me interested. And then hearing Nels um, out and about on podcasts um, quite a bit around the time that Mark of the Ninja was, was getting ready to be uh, released, that uh, again just let's face it all all the right uh phrases words intent that uh that a stealth fan wants to hear because <laughs> <laughs> because that's what this game was in in inception it seems um so so yeah it's i picked it up um when it came out uh last year on xbla and then since have, have picked up and played the steam uh version as well uh played that this week actually um with the se content on top of that so uh nice. yeah yeah yeah, like like you, James. I I adore stealth games. Um, although I still haven't played the Thief games, like you, which mm. seems like a <laughs> like yes. a yeah. No, I I know because uh, <laughs> Nels, you've said in the past that Thief Thief One and Two were kind of a major um, inspiration for this game. So I yeah. would love to go back and play those games now and kind of see where. Where all the idea, the ideas you took from those games, uh, where they, how they're implemented here. But yeah, I, I, it's the Metal Gear Solid series for me that's kind of informed oh. my love of the uh, stealth genre, especially Metal Gear Solid Three. For whatever reason, I feel like the wires crossed perfectly with that game, and it was Kojima uh, working at his best. And um, when yeah, I Sneak heard Eater, about Snake Eater, is definitely my favorite too. Yeah, no, it, it just like the what. Wait a minute! This is the Mark of the Ninja podcast. Let's <laughs> let's not talk about Snake Eater because uh, I could talk about that game for an hour. Uh, but anyway, um, so when I heard about Mark of the Ninja, uh, I was really curious. Um, I I liked Shank aesthetically, but two D brawlers are not a genre I tend to gel with. So I was really excited at the prospect of Clay lending their development talents to a genre I'm more uh, in love with. And just hearing all the reviews and stuff, I was like, okay, day one. And so let's talk about the game then. Um, Let's just dive straight into the mechanics. And just as a starting off point, just to generate some conversation, my immediate impression um, from the game, just having played the first level, was that whoever designed this game or was the lead designer of this game uh, really thought about what about stealth games is great but also what doesn't work in this genre and everything about it felt like it was accentuating the things about the stealth genre that were brilliant and deliberately avoiding the things the you know the 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 holes and the issues that a lot of stealth games uh, have faced in the past. Um, I'm talking about suddenly becoming an action game, despite the fact that the uh, previous 
uh, two hours were just stealth. I mean, do do you, you do you guys agree with me? And Nels, was that kind of your intention going into this project? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, maybe not that explicitly. Um, yeah. Like, I don't think we ever sat down and made a big list of, it's like, here's the stuff in stealth games, what sucks, so let's make sure we don't do that. Um, <laughs> it was more... I mean, like, certainly there was some of that, but it was more just what it, it what really arose. It, it, yeah, where we ended up kind of arose out of us just focusing on it's like, okay, well, you know, what about this type of game is really, really interesting? And then how can we focus on that? And kind of, and this was, we partially realized this at the time, but some of this was kind of in hindsight as well, that like the really interesting thing about stealth games is that kind of the, the pacing of their gameplay is very, very player-directed, right? Like, most Avatar-based action-adventure games are all about, like, reaction and survival, right? Like, you know, you walk into some new area, ah, dudes get spawned, they charge at you and try to kill you. Um, but in a stealth game, obviously, by definition, the game doesn't know where you are because you're hiding all the time. Um, so the pacing ends up being far more directed by the player. And that means that generally you're acting with a lot more uh, intent, like you're, you know, you generally you're thinking like two or three moves ahead. You're like, I want a, I want C to occur, but that means I'll need to do A and B to get there. Um, and that's really kind of what the heart of a stealth game is and how it differs from, again, most other types of action adventure games. And so when, when we kind of realized that we said, okay, well, that's the most important part. Like that's the thing that really matters. And as long as that is still being maintained and supported, as long as that's really the core of the experience, then we can get rid of just about anything else, and it will still feel like a stealth game. So at that point, then, we were able to minimize or change or play around with some of the stuff that kind of had been like a, a more frustrating genre trope or whatever in the past. Um, and a lot of that, too, was just like a lot of the stuff that's kind of frustrating arises out of like the 3D-ness of stealth games, just because, like, in general, a 3D game is a bit mushier, right? Like, you don't have these very clearly defined hard boundaries that are all about precision the way you do in a 2D game. Um, so we had to just translate a bunch of stuff, a bunch of these concepts from 3D to 2D anyway. And so in doing that, we were kind of able to, to kind of pare down and refine and make stuff really precise. And it seems like that is kind of what contributed to a lot of people feeling like, oh, this doesn't have the same kind of frustration that a lot of uh, other stealth games that people might have played do. I mean, I like them. Like, in general, I don't find them frustrating, even when they are kind of muddy or whatever. But I totally get why people do feel that way. And it's, and it's legit, right? Um, and so kind of one of the things that people said about Ninja that always kind of warmed the cockles of my hearts was like, oh, normally I really don't like stealth games, but I really like this one. And I'm like, aha, you see the weird things that I like in here so much. That's cool. <laughs> maybe now you'll go back and try those other ones and maybe they'll make a little bit more sense or something. Yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense um, to hear that because, I mean, I guess from your point of view, Nels, it doesn't make sense to put the effort in to transfer a mechanic you've seen previously in stealth games if you don't think it adds something to your game. So it really made you forced you to make that decision between what was valuable and what really wasn't to put that time and effort into into creating in your own game. Yeah, and there's some stuff that just doesn't work at all, right? Like 
in a 3D stealth game, kind of what's the what's your primary means of hiding from somebody? It's like, oh, they're coming at you, and you you duck around a corner and get out of the way. Except in 2D, <laughs> you don't have any corners because <laughs> it's all 2D. So you just we just had to do things that were different, just because a lot of the yeah. stuff was just impossible when you mm. when you yeah. remove a whole D. <laughs> Yeah, and, and keeping the game in in two D, like I, this game for me when I was playing it, I, I I was always in like like picture in picture. I had tension in my head, like I said earlier, and it, and playing, you know, Mark of the Ninja sort of just highlights why why stealth is so good and why Tenchu was and Tenchu's quite old, so you know it had a few flaws and design flaws in that area, but yeah. the fact that everything was so focused in Mark of the Ninja, it was sort of like, you know, you do go from left to right, so that's that's pretty much a, not a linear path, but it's a more directed path than Tenchu. Like, you could go anywhere in Tenchu and that there were just random things around the corner that you couldn't really tell, apart from the little, you know, the spookometer in the corner, the number got or got smaller the closer you were to a guy, and that's all you had to rely on. Whereas yeah. in, in Mark of the Ninja, because it was 2D, and it had a bit of 2.5D where you're ducking behind, like, you know, into the shadows or behind bins and stuff... It, right. it, it just kept my mind so focused on the stealth mechanic that I, there was no chance for me to get distracted. And I think that's part of the problem with me with 3D stealth games is that I'm like, oh, there's a thing in the corner. What if I go around? Oh, I've been spotted. So I, yeah. I feel like having... I've never played a 2D stealth game. I, I, I think yours is the first. But the fact that your game was so focused on what I was doing and you, um, the game gave me so much opportunity for information like the right stick for me was a godsend the fact that I could move the camera around just a little bit because <laughs> I'd hear the, <laughs> I'd hear the footsteps in the corner of the room right. and I'm like I better move the camera around just to see where they are and even though you can't see the guys on the screen you can you can see their little footstep radius the little circles that ping around their feet you can see the information that other games fail to give you and I think that's absolutely I, crucial yeah I, I was going to bring that up I think Mark of the Ninja's uh biggest success for me over other stealth games is just how well it communicates information to the player um i i do think the two-dimensional perspective uh aids in that because as a player you can see everything Mm -hmm. in front of you but just stuff like visualizing the sound waves was a stroke of genius because it allows the player to have more information about other rooms and so forth but not more information than it makes sense for that character to have at any given moment Mm -hmm. it makes sense that this ninja this really skilled guy would be able to hear somebody's footsteps from Mm. you know a certain distance but so many games kind of just don't think about that kind of stuff like i love i love the batman um arkham games but uh that radar sense just gives you so much information right. that it kind of removes the challenge whereas with uh this game it, it felt like i was just given enough like i don't know what weapons that guy has in the other room or you know what kind of equipment there are those guys with uh flare guns who are mm. really dangerous as well um but I know there's a guy in there, and that's enough for, for me to make an informed decision when I enter that room. Hmm. Um, uh, all sorts of other things. Just the way the the color palette slightly changes when you move into the shadows. So it's very clear that you cannot be seen here. Um, I know other games have done that before. Uh, the Riddick games, I believe, mm. did that. Oh, that's um, but... Um, so few game, so few stealth games do that, and um, uh, it, it was just really beneficial to not have to think about that sort of thing. Just right. to not have to think about, am I being 
am I in the enemy's view or what have you, just to have that, right, I know I'm not in the enemy's view, so I can just think about all these other decisions, like how I'm going to take these guys out and uh, so forth and so on. Yeah, well, when we realized that the game was all about like that intentional play and planning and that stuff, well, obviously a very big, important piece of that is you need information to plan with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, if, if like trying to ascertain that information is dangerous or unreliable, then people, even though they don't necessarily articulate it exactly this precisely, like they feel very frustrated that they can't actually make plans. And that's where a lot of that, like the, the off-putting nature of some stealth games, I think comes from is like, you know, the only, like the only way for you to understand how the systems work, which is necessary to be sneaky and survive is through trial and error. But of course, like, the, the consequences of a failure in stealth games tend to be pretty high because mm. if you don't need to be sneaky, then you won't be, right? So it's generally like, oh, if you're not sneaky, you'll die. But then you have to do a bunch of trial, trial and error, which means dying a lot to figure out how the systems work. And then it feels like you're playing the game wrong. It's just, mm. it can get into a whole big ugly mess. So again, we just tried to like sidestep all that and just say, look, we're going to put the information like in front of people as much as possible, but not too much. And then, you know, the interesting part is not going to be figuring out stuff, but it's going to be how can I manipulate the situation to get what I want. I think the game helps the player um, understand the game world by holding down the left trigger. You get to slow down time for as long as you want, it feels like. And um, that, right. that that move alone, and then you get to, like, highlight things you want to ping out with your darts and do other things with the sound boxes and stuff like that. I think that left trigger move just gave me a little bit of respite. Like, okay, now I can think about what I need to do. Let me right. do what I need to do with the sticks, and then you know I'll I'll then deal with the consequences afterwards. And I think, you know, like I say, just the slow motion mechanic was just like a, like a little well, masterstroke. Not only that, but um, you knew exactly what was going to happen when you uh, committed mm. to a move when you went into that mode. Um, you, the little sound waves that came off of anything that you uh, you threw a dart at told you who's going to know that mm-hmm. that's been destroyed or been right. uh, damaged in some way so yeah. that you can compensate for that later or wait and do that move later once the enemy's moved on mm-hmm. uh, right. just having because I can think even in stealth games I really like the, the number of times where I've made a decision and not been entirely sure what the outcome was going to be like mm. it's 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 frustrating when that stuff happens, but that never happened in Mark of the Ninja yeah. because all that information was there for me and uh, readily available. And mm. more more than most more than most games in this genre, I I felt like I wasn't you know doing trial and error. I felt like I was making informed decisions mm. all the time. And even when you did sort of fail, well, I say fail, even when you were spotted by the guard, um, usually I just restart to checkpoint because that's the way I play the games. But even when I carried on in that state, I never felt like the game was going to pull all the enemies from the other side of the map because it was a single screen in front of me. Like I felt yeah. like with, with a game like Dishonored, for example, a guy from just the, the corner of nowhere would come running over and you're like, well, what happened there? Like, why did you, why are you, why are you involved? You should be like miles away from me. But, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, so the fact that there's just a single image, you know, it's planted in front of me like I never felt like I was cheated out of you know it was always sort of my fault the super meat boy thing where I always felt it was my fault you know what I mean all that was very much on purpose so I'm glad to hear it is it worked as intended (laughs) (laughs) um 
But the great thing is um, that none of this stuff removes the challenge of the game. This, the game is still pretty tough. Um, I and I, but in the best possible way. Um, the the enemies can kill you basically in one hit if they see you. Um, it doesn't take that many bullets, much like the Batman Arkham games. To uh, the enemies can kill you so easily if you're spotted. It was great. It, just the balance of I can kill those guys in one hit if I want to. But those guys can kill me really easily as well. So it felt like we were on a level playing field. There wasn't it wasn't unfair in any way. As long as I stuck to the tactics that benefited me as a ninja, I would succeed. But if I started behaving the way they did, like running around just shooting madly, I would die instantly. Mm. And it was yeah. just this <laughs> really, really great, you know, balance of empowerment and weakness like i whenever i pulled off um you know a successful stealth kill or took out everyone in a room really quietly without anyone noticing i felt like a god but (laughs) only for that to be you know taken away the moment somebody spots you or a dog i hate those dogs they're great (laughs) but i hate them so much uh they they um yeah no just like because yeah, so but... so many games try to empower you by making you um, untouchable, just completely uh, a complete badass who could just rip through everyone. It was really great to play a game that empowered you via just your skill as a player more than anything. And it kind of reminds me of Dark Souls in a weird way, in that Dark Souls is oddly empowering def- despite the fact that you're so fragile as a player. Mm. Um Sorry, Wait, James. No, you were the, the, say something. the dynamic you spoke about there, Josh, is, is exactly what um, I found when I played Spies versus Mercs in in Splinter Cell. Um, on yeah, both sides of that dynamic, whether you are a, a fully armored mercenary with with you know quite a lot of firepower, or a spy who is very vulnerable but obviously has the benefit of all of the, all of the different mechanics that Sam Fisher has in in the main game. Um, you feel really powerful, but you also understand how vulnerable you are. And if you don't, you will be reminded of it very shortly um, because <laughs> someone's going to promptly, you know, take you out in one hit or, or open up fire on you and you'll you'll very quickly know that you're in trouble. Um, now, um, Nels, I just want to ask you, um, when designing the enemies for uh, uh, Mark of the Ninja, what, what was your inspiration and um, what was the... Uh, what was what was kind of the mission statement behind making the enemies? What did you what were you careful to consider when making all of them? Yeah, it was tricky because you know most games, again like character based action adventure games, um, like the way you vary up enemies is by like giving them different attack patterns or different stats or more hit points or whatever. But of course, in a stealth game, like ninety five percent of the player's interaction with the enemies is with the enemies not knowing the player is there, right? Hmm. So varying up all that stuff isn't really going to matter a whit one way or the other. So what we ended up having to do was figure out ways to change the the enemy's behavior prior to the prior to them like detecting and, you know, dealing with the ninja, right? So that's where the dogs came in where it's like, okay, well the dogs are a type of enemy that can detect in a, you in a radius, regardless of your level of illumination, 
but they're not as precise as the guards. Um, there's the other type of guards, like we mentioned earlier, where the guys who have a flare gun, where every time some noise is made, ah, they create a temporary light source. There's, you know, the, the gas mask guys that have the night vision. And all of that was really about, like, okay, well, how can we change their... Usually it just comes down to changing their perception, really. Um, and then, obviously, late in the game, there are the, the stalker enemies that have the same kind of locomotion abilities that the player does, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was really where all that came from. It was very much about figuring out, you know, how can these enemies be interesting and different even when they haven't seen the player yet or at all. Yeah, it's it's about how they affect the players that that planning stage you spoke about. It's how exactly. how they affect the, the yeah, the player has to take that extra information into account and try to yeah. understand how that player's AI is gonna interfere or potentially benefit their plan of action. Um, in the the commentary that was added in the uh, this summer in in the SE, um, mm-hmm. you you talked about the fact that um, it wasn't that the individual uh, enemy characters heard the sounds you were making. It's that the sounds actually detected which uh, enemies were within their radius, um, and and then basically oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, flagged to them that that was the case. Which I guess is when Darren, you were mentioning mentioning enemies just coming from the other side of a map. That's because their AI had been triggered to to change. Whereas if if you've got this very visual on screen representation of of how far a sound reaches, there's no question as to which enemies are going to hear that. Um, because because it's literally drawn on the screen for you. So even if you can't see necessarily the enemy, they're not going to come from the other end of the level simply because it's been set to say that 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 radius is also it's what informs the player, but it's also what informs the game as well. Um, yeah, which is, well, is quite interesting. Yeah, the whole funny thing about the visualizing the sound radius was like deaf. I mean, just how it was initially implemented. It's much easier to have like a sound event and have it kind of go out in a radius and notify people that, hey, a thing happened, versus having all these enemy brains, like, constantly pulling for noises. Um, anyway, like, under the hood, so that thing already had, like, a fixed radius that it was going out to, and then we're, like, we, we had, like, a small visual effect for, for like, whatever noise that enemy would, enemies would hear was created, but it was always the same size regardless. Hmm. And then somebody on the team, I don't even honestly remember who, it might have been me, it might have been somebody else, it's just, like, you know, under the hood... We know how far the sound travels. Why don't we just make the effect that big? And then we just did it. And we're like, oh, oh, that's really useful. That works. Okay, cool. <laughs> like a lot of, not all of it. I mean, I like to think that, you know, we knew where we wanted to end up. But the way, the, way the, the steps we actually took to get there for a bunch of the stuff in Ninja is just like things we tried that were good and successful mm. right it wasn't like all of this yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. we didn't just like come down from the mountain it's like oh here's how all these things are gonna work it's like we tried a bunch of crap that didn't work and then the stuff that did is the stuff that's still in the game in in um dosen's tale the the um the extra level that was added the the side story um you obviously had a, a series of commentary bubbles there that you talked about your the way you designed levels and you mentioned um that you ended up just iterating, you know, every stage was just about iteration to try and to, to oh, yeah. smooth out the curves, etc. And um, it sounds like that that was true in the idea stage as well. Um, mm-hmm. I just wondered, um, w- were there any ideas that you were really sure of were going to make for great mechanics or great parts of levels that during that iteration stage, as you were passing um, the, the sort of 
sketch of the level to the environmental designers and, and the programmers to try and put into place um, and then when you came to add in the different obstacles and enemies and traps etc um, were there any really great ideas you thought you had that just had to go the way of the dodo and you know you just had to admit defeat on that they just didn't fit in the in the levels you were designing oh there there are tons um, <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to remember a tangible one off the top of my head i'm running through the levels my levels in my head right now um uh, I mean, there wasn't like any gigantic, gigantic stuff that was just that like we, cause usually like when part of the, I mean, part of the whole point of like iterating a lot really quickly is early on, you figure out when stuff isn't, isn't, is, or isn't good. And then you can ax it before you dump a ton of resources into it. Um, um I mean, it's not one of the things. One of the things we discovered is, and I mean, I'm sure this is something that's totally, I don't know, maybe not. Um, like, uh, the scale of levels ended up being quite surprising to us in that, like, just the initial rough layout gray block thing that didn't have any, like, enemies or traps in it. Um, those initial sketches always ended up being way, way, way bigger than the final level ended up being, where I think... In a lot of games, they kind of have the opposite problem just because, like, you're chewing through encounters and content and enemies so fast, you end up having to make levels that are, like, really, really big, um, just, like, spatially big, just to, like, give the player enough time to have stuff to do and have, like, a good, well-paced chunk of experience. Um, but with us, like, there were, like, the, um, the, the, uh, was the one, two, three, the fourth and fifth levels in the game, as well as the, five, six, seven, eight, and ninth levels in the game. Initially, those two levels were, those two pairs of levels were just one single giant level. Like, four <laughs> and five and eight and nine were, like, one initial humongous level. And then after we started to build it out, we're like, oh, God, this level's gigantic. This is, like, an hour and a half long level. That's crazy. <laughs> so then we just cut them in half, and then they both just kind of had a relatively nice splitting point. Um but that was one of the things that was definitely surprising where it's like, you know, from like the, the mile high eagle's eye view, you're like, yeah, it looks like that's about right. Then you actually do it and you're like, oh my God, this is humongous. What? what this is way too big. I think Mark of the Ninja, the level design is so, oh, it sounds like we're just being all like lovey-dovey, but it, it was so good that I, I, didn't, I didn't even consider it. Like when I play games, I used to be a QA tester, so I know games and how they're made and stuff. But when I played Mark of the Ninja, and when I played it just like a minute ago before we recorded this and earlier on in the year, I never think of the level as a game level. It just sort of seems like a place like I can I can toy around with and you know and become some That's sort cool. of master of destruction. Like I, I I see a vent in the corner there. I see a roof that I can sort of you know climb up and swing out on. It was it was never like oh this is the level and this is the way games are made. It was sort of like this is kind of like a 2D world in front of me. It's, it's quite hard to explain, but it felt very organic in its design. Um, as we were developing the game, that was the thing that was definitely um, was a big challenge. It was largely solved by our art team, like uh, the, the environment art lead, Megan Shaw specifically, where like, it's, especially in a 2D game, I mean, it's, it's both advantageous and more complicated in like a two-dimensional game you need to have a space that, I mean, it's it, by definition, it's abstract, right? Mm. Because uh, the world has 3Ds. I mean, unless you're trying to do like a perfect <laughs> blueprint cutaway or something, um, like a 2D game world is abstract, right? But 
it still needs to feel like a tangible, real place. And a lot of 2D games don't, and that's just because they're kind of more fantastical or cartoony or whatever. But there are some that, like, present themselves like they're in the real world. But then the space itself is just, like, crazy garbage nonsense. You're like, this isn't a building. There's, like, <laughs> weird, like, rooms hanging off. And what is this? Um, so we definitely wanted to make the spaces feel, like, tangible and real. But obviously they still had to suit good gameplay. Um and that was just one thing that was just a whole lot of iteration back and forth as well. And the other thing that actually helped with that a lot, I think, is the... Um, initially, we didn't have, like, the uh, kind of the fog of war vision perception of the player character thing. Like, you could just see... What you could see was everything that was on screen, right? Um, but when we did that, the levels... I mean, everything just felt like a giant, weird elevator action level. <laughs> um, but as soon as we put that fog of war in, I mean, in addition to all the other good design benefits it gave, it actually made the levels feel way less gamey, mm. um, which was like a very nice side benefit, uh, which was cool. Um, yeah, because it, so, it sort of blurs out the the areas that you're not looking. It sort of, like say, puts them behind a fog of war, so your eye sort of naturally gravitates to the places that you can see. So therefore, right. you're not looking at the whole level as an image, but rather than... You know the, the things that the ninja can see, I can see, right. and, and therefore it feels like a you know a natural, organic world. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's, yeah, it's one of the things that I, it, it, I had to think about it for ages, thinking why do these levels not feel like levels? And that's because right. they're, they're designed almost you know perfectly. It's brilliant. Well, one of the other great things about the way the uh, the levels are designed is just that it gives you so many options as a player to uh, take out the enemies in whatever way you want. Um, it's this is where I kind of compare Mark of the Ninja to Metal Gear Solid 3, in that yeah. even though Metal Gear Solid 3 isn't an open-world game, it has such an open design in terms of uh, its levels and arenas and so forth that um, you can just experiment and do all sorts of different things. Um, I, Because I, I'm that kind of person, I love going through stealth games non-lethally, just to see if I can uh, get through right. without killing anyone, but the fact that like that, I, what was the what's the costume called that allows you to scare people and stuff like that? Oh, oh yeah. the, path, the path of nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> just, stuff like that was amazing. Even <laughs> if you don't have that uh, costume on, you can scare loads of people. Just but being because that remind me reminded me a lot of um, Arkham Asylum, the idea of being that aggressive hunter. That the uh, the enemies know you're there, but they're so terrified that they can't actually coordinate a uh, right. an effective offense uh, against you. Um, just the and, and playing levels again, I, I'm just amazed by how many different ways I can go. For, there, it doesn't seem like there are, um, you know, oh, there's this option or this option. It does feel like. There are multiple different um, options in each scenario. Like I, I feel like too many games kind of give you like the, uh, you know, the the fork and then it converges back again. Right. Whereas with Mark of the Ninja, it did feel like um, I could just kind of go off in any direction I wanted to, just within the limits of the environment that you provided. Right. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was. It's something that you rarely get to see in stealth games because um, a lot of the a lot of uh, stealth games, I think, fall into the trap of uh, making everything really linear. Um, I know this isn't a stealth game, but Beyond Good and Evil, 
um, oh. the stealth sections in that, I feel like the the biggest weakness with them is that they just say, "Do this in exactly the way we want you to," right? And yeah. you cannot, and you cannot, you know, veer from that path. Whereas with Mark of the Ninja, it's like, okay, that that tactic failed, but I can try a different way. I can try a different angle, and uh, that that kind of spurred you on, even when the game gets really tough, especially yeah. later on. Yeah. I mean, again, that was that was very, very, very intentional. Like yeah. that is part of the reason why I like games like Thief and Deus Ex and Dishonored and stuff like that so much is that they, you know, they just offer you a bunch of different options and say, you know, kind of choose whatever you see fit, right? Um, and that was very, very much what we wanted to have happen with Ninja as well. Where it's just like you know, there, here's a bunch of different options. Pick the one you like the most, or the one that you think is the most interesting, or the one that you think best suits the situation, or whatever, and just go with that. Uh, we didn't want to be prescriptive with what's kind of the right way to play, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely feels like it gives every type of player the same feeling of you know satisfaction and reward for for playing how they play. Uh, personally, I was the guy who snuck around a lot, but then whenever I had the chance to kill someone, uh, they were dead straight away. And <laughs> right. What I loved about uh, Ninja and other stealth games that had a similar thing is like when you take someone down, is that you can hide their bodies in like. The game never sort of felt funnel to me in terms of what I can do. I was like, oh, okay, I can pick up a body. Now, can I drop it down the vent? I can, yeah, brilliant. Uh, can I put it in a bin? I can, this is brilliant. Uh, and I never felt like I was sort of... Obviously, it's a 2D game, so I did. there were obviously there were boundaries there, but I never felt like I was, you know, chained to what the game was forcing me to do. Like, oh, you can only hide a body in this area. It was like, every time I thought of something, it was it was there it was available for me to do it and i just felt like, absolutely and that's yeah. why i kept yeah. kept killing the guys and kept hiding their bodies because i was getting <laughs> rewarded for it in terms of points as well as, as well as just feeling rewarded as a player because i thought of the idea obviously you right. guys thought of it first but i thought of an idea and it worked and that's how that's why i, I kept playing to the end because it just kept yeah. rewarding me it, it respected I mean, me it respected me yeah well a lot of that too came out of you know oh like one of someone one of us or someone during a play test or whatever mm. would try to do something and then it wouldn't work but we like oh but it would be totally cool if the game actually did support that okay yeah we should add that in <laughs> yeah that's cool well wow. and, and those are those are signaled through some of the challenges as well um you know terrifying guards there's there's challenges for that and and hiding bin uh, bodies and bins there's there's challenges for that as well and they're not you don't have to do them at all but they do just pop up on the screen they're there in the in the sort of uh, select menu um and you can just see it gives ideas of other ways to do it um there's there's a couple of other ways that i liked that that helped that helped just uh massage the player in terms of just not massage prompt the player to think about how they're going to tackle a level and really think about their options um that you talked about the fog of war and i think for me what that had the effect of is wanting to go and discover everywhere so if i'd gone one route and i looked at the map and it looked like there was another path that i hadn't seen i wanted to go and find out what was there because there was no way to do it without physically going so i would i would go and do that um and in in the level where the sandstorm is as well it had the same effect, which was I felt more empowered because I knew I couldn't be seen as as easily, but it also made me a little cautious because I didn't know what was out there and what was around me, um, and so it just those slight environmental changes, uh, like the lightning as well, um, just forced the player to stop and think a bit again, a bit like the 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 different enemy types that you talked about and else um it it's all just ways of prompting the player and and nudging the player and just needling them a little bit into thinking 
there's other ways to do this. Maybe the way I have been playing the entirety of this game isn't going to suffice. I'm going to have to be a bit more, um, a bit more adaptable and a bit more improvisational than that. Um, but, yeah, but, and that's but, where. Oh, go ahead. No, you go, Nels. I was going to say no, that's that's kind of where most of those hazards came from, right? It was like looking at it's like okay, well, what what have the players probably been doing for a while? Okay, well, how can we? not take something away, but like make it a little more challenging, a little more different or whatever, and kind of prompt people to react in a different way that they might not have been doing before. Just add in more complications. Um, because again, you know, like lots of action adventure games, it's like, oh, well, they just make it so that you have to like do a better timing challenge or shoot more guys or whatever. But a lot of those normal methods of like increasing difficulty weren't really available to us. So we had to come up with other things like that. But but all that stuff, all the variety you added to the later stages of the of the game, um, they all played into skills that the player already uh, had learned previously. And I was really impressed that you managed to keep that up all the way towards the end. Because I, I've seen in a number of different games, the temptation is to go, well, the player's been, you know, sneaking about a lot. Why don't we just put like a little action sequence here, or or a boss battle here, and right. um, and I and every time that happens, I no, you're not you're not playing to your strengths as a game. Right. Variety is good, but use use tactics, use um, design elements that play into what the uh, what the game has already established is its kind of tone and uh, its philosophy as a game. Uh, so yeah, well done with that. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it's like, in general, right? It's far better to like kind of encourage the player to do something that they have been doing differently, versus just yeah. have them do something completely different, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I need to mention this because uh, we haven't actually brought it up when talking about mechanics, but just the way the character feels to control and to move around the environment. Um, I think all of the stuff we mentioned is great, but it wouldn't been as great if the ninja himself didn't feel so fluid and uh, so precise to control. I I think Mark of the Ninja succeeds as much as a platformer as it does as a stealth game. Um, The grapple hook, it just gives you... It's the best Spider-Man game I've played, Mark (laughs) of the Ninja. Um, Just being able to get around really fast, really quickly. Um, yeah, all that stuff just made everything you... Add, you know, all the stealth mechanics on top of that, just it improved everything. Just being... So many games... Thought, like, we were talking about Little Big Planet a few weeks ago, and we're saying a lot, a lot about that game is amazing, but because the character uh, of Sackboy is um, unreliable in terms of control. The jump arc is never precisely what you think it is. It it can make what could be awesome slightly frustrating. But having a character that you know will land exactly there, will do exactly this when you do this, it's much like Super Meat Boy in that regard, that um, you always know what's going to happen when you make that choice. it's, It's... 
It's brilliant. And even when you sort of do fluff up a little bit, you know, as me, the player sort of presses the wrong button or something happens, I always felt like I had a little, like with the slowdown time, I sort of had a little time to sort of think about it and maybe I could stick to a wall or maybe grapple hook to a nearby post. I always felt like I had a little get out clause in there. It was, it was maybe a split second timing, but I always felt like I had a, another way out of a situation before I, you know, hit the floor and started fighting people. It, it kind of felt like it was on my side in terms of yeah. like, you know, in terms of precision controls, and yeah, I appreciate it for that. Big yeah, time. A, a, a ton of that is due just to one dude specifically, uh, Marcus Lowe. Um, he's probably like the best like low level input scale type game designer I've ever met in my life. Um, like he's the reason why Shank and Shank Two also feel super awesome like control wise, and he just yeah he he destroyed that on Ninja and made mm-hmm. it intensely awesome and the best <laughs> and the game would not be like a tenth as good control wise if marcus hadn't just become a lord on that <laughs> um whose idea was the squirrel suit because uh <laughs> I, when i found that i had that as an unlockable i'd like just fist pumped the air i was like i'm definitely squirrel suiting around these levels again in new game plus because that is just like the ultimate reward for a new game plus it's not like you know, some games right. give you a new, new game plus, but no impetus to go and do it. Give me a squirrel suit, and I'm flying down at people. With a <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> I it might have been mine. I don't. I don't remember for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, but again, like that was just another thing that was coming out of like, okay, what's in the player's existing kind of verb set that we could do that's a little bit different, but isn't going to be like a radical departure? Just let. What is it? What are things we can add that let you do interesting things in a more interesting way? Hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely helped me go for a new I, I never really do new game plus unless there's a real fun reason to do so yeah like I'm say, the same squirrel suit is definitely the way forward for me <laughs> all right squirrel suits in all future games check <laughs> do it um talking about new game plus um just the number of options uh you gave the player in terms of re- uh, replayability we already mentioned the uh, the suits uh that kind of improve certain skills, but also take away other skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, also adding those challenges as well. Um, there, there were a few where I felt um, when you first encounter them, they're not really possible. And it was fun to go back to earlier levels with uh, with powers that uh, I'd unlocked and um, try and get those. But also just seeing how the powers I acquired later on affect the earlier levels and how right. I can use those abilities in dif- in different ways um and just all the different items and and the distraction items and the uh offensive items um experimenting with them and uh and seeing how they uh you know affect the environment and and the uh enemies it, it it's <laughs> like so few games think about replayability I feel like I, I think a lot of games now are designed expecting the player never to finish them. So the 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 early levels are really like, wow, this is amazing, and then it peters off, and then New Game Plus is not really anything they thought about. Whereas Mark of the Ninja, it felt like, I correct me if I'm wrong, but it it kind of felt like you actually thought about getting the player to constantly come back and try and beat their previous score and so forth and so on and try different things. Yeah, I mean, well, that was definitely part... What we wanted to do was just because the game supported... I mean, we set out to have it support like so many different styles of play that just kind of naturally 
if you want to go back and experiment with stuff, there's a lot of stuff that's there to experiment with. Um, it's not just like, oh, you'll play the same level again, but maybe you'll complete it point four seven seconds faster or whatever. I mean, granted, like, there are games that are all about that, and they're awesome for being that, right? Um, but, yeah, I think it was just kind of like a natural consequence of we wanted there to be so many approaches for anybody playing the game at any point that at any point could include you going back and trying it again and being like, oh, here's all this crazy stuff I totally didn't notice the first time or whatever. Um, let's talk about the narrative. Um, now, um, Nels, can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, the story around uh, Mark of the Ninja, was. did you have an idea of what it was going to be before uh, you had fin- uh, before you had started making the game, no. or was it something implemented later on? Uh, it definitely. I mean, yeah. It, like I said, when, when like when when I came to the game, um, the only thing that was like there has to be a game about a ninja, and we started off definitely um, doing like the initial design and prototyping. It was all like mechanic spacing, um, and then later on, once those mechanics kind of started to gel, that that's like okay, well, what's kind of the the premise and everything else that we can build around that. And then that just kind of emerged organically from there. Um, but it was definitely, yeah, as, as de- development was led by kind of mechanics and systems first and then yeah. premise sitting around that. Um, Cause I, I, w- I was going to say um, for me, the narrative did feel like it was uh, a secondary focus. The ge- The game for me is all about the mechanics and the, the game design, um, and and that, that with that stuff it excels. Um, the narrative I feel like it kind of comes in towards the end more, like the the idea of him hallucinating, right? And, uh, and um, the idea of the this character that you've spent all this time with is actually just a figment of your imagination, and you're going mad. Um, I thought it was really interesting. But I wish it was it was kind of all the way through the game rather than um, kind of uh, just, you know, just towards the end where it was really expanded upon. Right. Uh, yeah. But but the ending, I think, is uh, was really interesting um, just because <laughs> the, the idea that um, you're just killing your own allies all the way through that last level was just when the um, the soldiers just suddenly puffed, they turned into regular ninjas in training. I was like, oh god, am I have all the? It made me think like, have all the levels earlier? Have I just been slaughtering innocent people, right. or something like that? I thought that was an interesting little twist. Yeah. But um, while I, I, you know, the narrative clearly isn't the focus, it did add a bit to the game. Yeah, well, I mean, and that, that's definitely the stuff that, I mean, everybody internally all feels like that was the stuff that was the strongest, too. Like, we almost got in this weird situation where there was there was too, there was not too much, but there was way more game than we thought there would be in the sense that, like, the, the, the like, I mean, just kind of the, the you know, I, I certainly don't think this is the best way to game, do game storytelling. Everybody else feels the same way, but, like, the kind of cutscene drops between levels it's like that's obviously not the best way to do it it's not the most integrated but when we were building it we just didn't realize like how much game is going to sit in the player's head in between those moments so it just ends up being like there's so much distance in between anything happening that it like that stuff just kind of naturally feels secondary um 
but yeah, like the, the definitely the bits at the end that kind of cast a, encourage you to kind of re-examine what you've been doing up to that point. It's like, I'm still pretty happy with how all that stuff came out. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that that was at least partly um, a, a technical concern as well. Uh, I, I assumed um, that part of the reason why you, you had more regular guards turning into ninjas was um, obviously partly that your clan now has the 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 guards equipment and technology etc but also partly to avoid having to animate entirely new enemies um, oh yeah totally so, so, so technically it makes it simpler because you've got the original guards and then just uh, as as josh said that poof and then you've got the body there which is clearly a a, a ninja um, yeah so uh something that interested me and in that was first time i played through it i obviously understood i, I saw that they were turning into ninjas um but I just figured that your hallucination was that you were being attacked by um, your own clan because they were trying to defend uh, their leader. Um, but actually, when I played through second time, something struck me uh, again, which was, are you actually hallucinating that they are attacking you? Because in the final level, um, Ninja walks through and you see your clansmen on, on their knees and bowing their heads. And, and I suppose that at that point, the duality is supposed to be on the one hand, are they bowing out of respect for what you've achieved? Or on the other hand, are they bowing out of um, a mark of a mark of disrespect because of what you've just done? Um, because actually what you've done is come in and massacred your whole clan who maybe didn't even defend themselves um, because of your status in the clan. I thought that was really interesting that there's, there's more than even just two ways to read into that what's gone on and what is happening in those final um, levels. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it, it was meant to definitely encourage reflection and not provide any clear answers about yeah. exactly yeah. what's going on. And, and presumably that's why there's n- next to no summary at the end after you make that choice of right. what the fallout of that choice is, aside yeah. from um, Ninja turning into the the um the demon uh with the demon ninja with the sword um that's been shown in the in the cutscenes previously yeah 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 no it, it playing it through for a second time actually um actually made that even more obvious it reinforced uh the feeling that i had first time around um even more cool. which i hadn't expected because uh something like maybe bastion as well um you get to that end choice and and afterwards you reflect on it but then going back a second time i hadn't expected it to have even more of an effect given that i right. already knew what the choice was and what had happened but it, it nice. did in ways that i hadn't expected yeah that's cool that's good yeah uh, it's definitely like um the actual last ending level because there's like in really a gameplay there we didn't we try i mean first we tried a bunch of different stuff where it's like oh maybe there would be some kind of gameplay depending on what decision you made blah 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 and ultimately that it was just like we should just do something that's really simple and aesthetic and is actually like an interesting way to cap this thing off and it came together in like two weeks three weeks something like that and it's like it's so my favorite part of the whole game i mean probably because it's like it's its own isolated thing. It's very different. Um, but yeah, we worked with this like awesome uh, Canadian prog rock slash Asian fusion <laughs> slash whatever band Yamantaka Sonic Titan. Like they composed and performed that original song for the end of the game. Yeah, um, yeah it was it was really cool, and I'm super happy with that whole bit. <laughs> Even though I had almost nothing to do with actually bringing it into existence <laughs> at all beyond emailing the band a whole bunch. <laughs> Other people like built that level into everything, but it was yeah, it was super good. Yeah. 
Yeah, you really get the sense that having Mark and Blade, uh, that's the name of the the end track, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, having that there almost spurred uh, yourself and, and your team on to to have a crescendo at the end that that fitted with with having that that uh, right. song over the credits. Yeah. yeah, it builds to that very much. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, Nels has to run off because he's a very busy man, uh, much more you know busy than any of us. <laughs> but um, uh, Nels, thank you for coming on. Uh, please plug anything that you're working on or any projects that you're doing right now. Uh, well, unfortunately, aside from Campo Santo existing, we're not talking about what we're doing yet. But oh, go on. folks can pay attention to <laughs> CampoSanto.com. At some point in the future, we'll be saying things there. <laughs> I did. This is completely unrelated to anything, but whatever. I don't care. I really like it. Um, I host a Netrunner podcast. Netrunner is a uh, tabletop card game. It's kind of like uh, kind of like Magic the Gathering, only it's asymmetrical and doesn't have all the bullshit artificial scarcity that makes Magic kind of terrible. Um, so <laughs> if anyone wanted to check that out, and they should, because Netrunner is awesome, uh, it's at idlethumbs.net slash Terminal 7, like with the numeral 7. Mm. Um, and more people should play Netrunner, because it's really, really, really good. Cool. I'll check okay. that out. Sweet. Uh, Thank you very much, gentlemen. This this was a pleasure. I really had lots of fun chatting with you guys. Hey, thanks. Awesome. Okay. Okay. See you around then. Yep. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. Okay, shall we move on to the forum feedback? Uh, Darren, could you read Todinho's post? You know, you know what, I'm going to give it a try, just for you. <laughs> so Todinho says, Honestly, I wasn't expecting much from Mark of the Ninja. The only other game from Clay I knew was Shank, and I really didn't like it. So when I heard they were making a 2D stealth game about ninjas, I almost laughed thinking it would be just as boring game with the Samurai Jack art style. Not only was I wrong, but Mark and the Ninja turned out to be one of my favourite games of that year and the best 2D stealth game that I've ever played. Where do I begin to list all the things the game does right? The art style really fits the game and the near future setting mixed with the traditional Japanese scenes really benefit the Samurai Jack treatment. It's also worth noting that this game has one of the few instances where I've seen the art give hints to what the players to what's going to happen in the plot. It's a really cool detail that I only noticed on repeat playthroughs. Gameplay and level design in this game really shines. The 2D structure of levels is more simple than other stealth games, but it also gives the developer room to make a tighter experience and the player more control of each room. Mark of the Ninja masterfully provides all the information you need in a clear and elegant manner that with tight controls makes every mistake entirely your fault. It also inspires player creativity thanks to the variety of masks and items that you can unlock and the challenges that you're tasked to complete in each level. Even the story that wasn't all that interesting in the beginning managed to have managed to surprise having a great final act slash level that made the whole narrative worth it. If I'm honest though, it wasn't mechanics, art or story that really made me love the game. 
Rather, it was a combination of them all together. Mark of the Ninja manages to do what no other game I have played managed. It makes you feel what it's like to be a real ninja. When all the elements of the game come together, the magic just happens, and it's just fantastic. It's really interesting, I think, to hear Todinho, um, particularly at the beginning of that post, talk about the art style, um, referencing Samurai Jack, because obviously Nels mentioned that a lot of their art team have backgrounds in cartoons and that kind of thing, and, and it really comes across, obviously the cutscenes themselves, but just in the way the characters are designed and everything, and the way the backdrops are designed, um, often sort of layered, it has a very... Um, even when you're standing still, it, 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 you you feel that there there's movement there to be had almost, I suppose. It does feel like it's always in flow and in flux. And perhaps that gives it, like you were saying, Darren, a bit more than just your standard, here's the, the sort of box or grid-based level that you're making your way through. Mm. It always feels like it's moving and changing around you a bit. Yeah, like sh- and I think the art's a big part. Yeah, like Shank, Don't Starve and Mark of the Ninja, they all, they all completely different games. Uh, but they all feel mm. the same in terms of their art style. They've all got that clay look about them. And I love the fact mm. that clay have got their own art style. You know what I mean? It's yeah. um, it's, yeah, it's quite hard to actually put into words. Yeah, visual yeah, identity. Yeah, you, don't, like, yeah. you know yeah. that the next game from clay is going to look like like the, those games do. And you know when you see Don't Starve, you're like, of course, of course, that's clay. Well, mm. it, it it's kind of like uh, you can always recognise a Christopher Nolan movie, even if it's in a completely different mm-hmm. genre. Like there's just something about the way he films his films and so forth and so on. It's just nice when a studio or an artist or anyone just has this identity that's immediately familiar but is also flexible that can be uh, used in a number of different ways. Yeah, the the identity ends up becoming more a mark of... Um, I don't want to say a mark of quality necessarily because that implies that... that there's something inherently good about it which doesn't necessarily have to be true but it implies a certain level of expectation of a standard but not necessarily of what the content's going to be and that kind of thing yeah cool uh, uh james could you read roy 42 i can please? um I, I should say that i've edited this down a little bit um just for for length uh, but hopefully uh, Roy42 will agree that I, I've kept the tone and intent of, of what he wanted to, to say. So, Roy42 says, A game that started pretty fantastically and steadily got worse. Mark of the Ninja was one of the most disappointing things I've played in recent memory. The visuals and audio are slick and polished and the core gameplay works fine. Surfacing information, etc. The problem is that no matter what you do, the game needs to carry on regardless. We end up with a scenario where I go through every single level without raising any alarms or killing anyone, a playstyle that the game tells you is completely valid, and yet somehow the bad guys are aware of my presence and set up a boss battle that I have no way to get through non-lethally. At once, my preferred method of play is invalidated and I'm thrown out of the narrative. So I move on, with a new stealth outfit that makes the game almost insultingly easy, and get to an exciting sequence wherein a door takes its sweet time opening and I need to avoid detection for a solid minute or so. It goes great, right up to right up until they sound the alarm, even though they haven't found me and make my hard work avoiding detection utterly pointless. Elsewhere, guards trigger traps on their own, get themselves killed, and it counts as me killing a guard and I have to start over. And then what? A final sequence where Ninja is suddenly having hallucinations where there was nothing before, culminating in an ending where I'm given an impossible choice, not because the two people I have have to choose between killing both mean so much to me, 
but because I don't know anything about either of them and have no stake in whether either of them lives or dies. It presents itself as a game that you can play as stealthily as you like, yet for the purpose of its own half-baked narrative, gives you no choice but to do exactly what it wants in several situations. And even from a gameplay standpoint, there are two or three upgrades that let you be more stealthy and ten that give you more ways to kill everyone. I'd be fine with it if the developers or game made it clear that killing people is what they want you to do, but instead they insist on presenting the illusion of choice, like the ending of Final Fantasy XIII 2. The game looks, sounds and plays well, the challenge levels were incredibly well designed, and the feeling of being a ninja is awesome. It just got less and less fun to play as the game went further on, and it seemed like pacifism was considered less and less in the level design process. That was hard to read. <laughs> not because it, not because the way it's written, it's uh, absolutely perfectly well written. Um, it's just some of the points, particularly about narrative. I think um, we we discussed, and and I I would agree. There's certainly some issues there that may bother some people more than others. But um, in in terms of the game, and there was only I think there's only two characters that you maybe two. Yeah, maybe two. Yeah, two characters that you have to um, to actually kill, um, and there were going from the commentary in, in the in the SE. It, it seems like there were going to be more, but they actually a couple of pickpocketing situations that was added quite late on um, in order to remove as much of the lethality as possible. I think the final choice you have to make it makes sense that that's done through an act of killing simply because it needs to be a, a there's a finality to it. Um, and one way or another, one of these two people has to has to cease to be at that point. Um, I do kind of agree about the boss fight where you have to kill um, I forget his name the uh, the leader of the organization who's attacked you basically. Uh, um, I saw it earlier, but I've forgotten. My brain's gone. Yeah, it, I, I I do kind of agree about that, but equally well, if you hadn't killed that person. I'm not entirely sure where that would have gone. So I think just for the sake of the gameplay being what it was and for for the game flowing the way it did, the narrative took a backseat in that instance. And whether whether I agree that it's there, there's a, a disparity there, I'm not sure, because in Deus Ex Human Revolution, for instance, there was a lot of uh, bristling about the fact that you were trying to play non-lethally with the boss fights, you had to kill someone. I, I don't necessarily agree that it has to be non-lethal all the way through. Just when you have the option, you can make it non-lethal. And if you don't have the option at some points, that's fine with me. But anyway, I, I thought it was an interesting post and it's more negative than any of us would probably yeah. care to be about Mark of the Ninja. Um, but I, it was the one negative post we had and I thought there were some interesting points. Ooh, and I should say, if you agree with Roy, disagree with Roy... There are a couple of posts on the forum that we didn't have space to squeeze into the show tonight. Um, please do go on the forum um, and and have your say. Mm. Get involved in the discussion because it's it's a very interesting thread. I think. Yeah, yeah. it's all about balanced discussion on Kane and Rince. <laughs> Jerome MCI says, "Mark of the Ninja is for me one of the best stealth games I have ever played." Speaking as someone who doesn't often enjoy them, I was pleasantly surprised to discover this game. The 2D perspective, visual representation of sound, and Clay Entertainment's art style come together to create a truly enthralling experience. Also, I quite enjoyed the way the ending puts your actions throughout the game in a new light. Yeah. Agreed. Short and sweet. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay, and now time for your free word reviews. Todinho says, Ninja's done best. Um, Mr. Flavio, aka Glenn Watts, he says, Noise, visualization genius. Snaky David, or David Merritt, says, Slick stealth romp. Vimsy74 says, Stealthy ninja goodness. Beauty game. Also known as Huda Smurry, he says, a New game plus. Count Stex, or Stephen Jones, says, Stealth made fun. Frozen Treasure, who is Roy42 from our forum, says Path of Disappointment. Jerome MCI, aka Jerome McIntosh. He says Microsoft barely advertised, or, for a more positive one, super stealthy stuff. Um, I thought that was an interesting one. He followed up with, with super stealthy stuff, but Microsoft barely advertised. Um, maybe it's just because I was aware of the game. I, I didn't particularly find it. Poorly I think but uh, I think the, the the big issue was that um, Mark of the Ninja mm. wasn't part of the Summer of Arcade, sure. despite being a, a Microsoft, Microsoft yeah. published game. Yeah. And um, considering the games that were a part of uh, <laughs> the Summer of Arcade that year, yeah, it was a bit disappointing that like, why aren't you pushing this game? forward why yeah. aren't you saying people play this because it's so much better like um i believe it was super uh, meat boy had a similar situation or they yeah they super, they felt they did, yeah uh what what was the what was the one good game that came out in summer of arcade that year it was um tale oh dust and Elysian tale yeah like that was the one highlight but then spelunky came out yeah. before the summer of arcade yeah. and then mark of the ninja came out after and you're like these two games here they're pretty <laughs> yeah. good why aren't they part of this but anyway moving on okay. i just want to say the reason why jerome got two there was because his microsoft barely advertised was a worthy um point I felt like uh, we don't want to set a precedent that people can do two three-word reviews. <laughs> but yeah, he made a good valid point, so we thought we'd put it in there as well. Insert coins or Ryan Human, interesting last name. Uh, many play styles. Uh, Xavier Fox Shandy says undeniable individualistic appreciation, which he says is a three-word haiku. <laughs> it's evolved. Sir Clownfoot, Alan Passingham. He says, "I am Batman." Fury Ace says, Indie Ninji Delight. And to finish up, Play Champion, who is Harrison Brockwell, says, Fantastically Challenging Fun. Right, okay, and now time for our summaries, starting with Darren. <sighs> um, you know, we spoke about this game for the last hour and a bit, and I think you can pretty much gather that I really enjoyed this game, and so did many other people, uh, especially people who don't like stealth games, which is. It's got to be a huge achievement for the guys who are involved with that game, who, who created a stealth game that just appeals to pretty much everyone. It's quite a unique game as well in the fact that you don't really see that many ninja games. There was quite a few on the PS1, like I mentioned. There was uh, Tenchu, and there was also a game called Ninja, um, something Shadows or something like that. And, and you know, those two games didn't really represent ninjas in their best light. And I think this game definitely does it. it it is the most ninjaist game of the ninja games. You know, like everyone says Assassin's Creed is a ninja game, but it's 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 not really, is it? It's, it's a guy with a blade on his wrist and he's stabbing people in the throat. Whereas this is a proper ninja game in terms of sound, visuals, and gameplay. It's um, it's an absolute treat. I I do wish in some weird way that they had a bit more 
in terms of I don't know kind of maybe maybe a co-op mode where maybe you're not doing the, the story mode as a as a two-player thing but maybe there were certain challenge rooms available for you and a friend to sort of knob around in and just you know sort of work off each other bounce off each other in terms of like if I throw this trap down how about you get a, a sound a sound maker and they walk into my trap and Maybe, maybe oh, you know, it's so hard to say because it doesn't work there anymore. But maybe the the guys, maybe there's still guys who, at Clay who are doing Mark of the Ninja Two can implement some sort of multiplayer mode because I think it would be fun to because like you're running around with that woman most of the time in the in the story mode. And I kind of think, well, how, if that was another player, uh, fair enough, it wouldn't work for the story. Mm. But how about you know me and you were running around a, a you know a rooftops killing it I think that would be brilliant but ultimately for a first attempt at a 2D stealth game you know you, you can't well you can you can only thought it a tiny bit in terms of to, in terms of the story which is why I was quiet during that because I didn't really get on with it but um <laughs> yeah uh, you can pick this game up for well it's a Steam sale soon isn't it It'll be winter, or, uh, there's always a Steam sale going on so you can pick it up <laughs> for next to nothing really and it's definitely worth your time even if you don't like stealth games do it but play, play it with the pad don't play it with the keyboard Oh yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. It's a, a pad game first and foremost. Mm. James, um, I obviously have a, a great fondness for stealth games. Um, interestingly, first-person stealth games I tend to have a harder time with. Um, Deus Ex: Human Revolution got round that by having a third-person uh, sort of cover system, and the reason for that is that. When you're in a first-person game, often there's not a a very handy way to get a lot of feedback from your surroundings, um, because you're sort of closed on your or your perspective. You can't see behind you at all. You can't see your peripheral vision terribly well. Um, and when you play a stealth game in a third-person perspective, you get more of that. You get a little bit of a glimpse of your surroundings, and it may be unrealistic in terms of field of view. But what that does is that acts as a um, a sort of catch-up for all the other senses that you would actually have if you were in, say, uh, if you were Riddick in the Chronicles of Riddick uh, game. You would be more aware of what was going on around you than he was able to be because he, you were playing the game through a first-person perspective. So um, playing Mark of the Ninja, not only do you have that third-person perspective, but they clearly took that notion of giving the player the information first and foremost to heart. And that really spoke to me because I, I, I'd kind of come to terms with the fact that first-person stealth really pro- possibly wasn't ever going to feel as as uh, mechanically sound and as as um, as forgiving to player intent or as as um, positive towards player intent as as third-person stealth games were. And so here was a game that was third-person stealth. It was two D. So not only could you see around yourself but you could also start to to plan and and sort of have a a a bird's eye idea of of where you wanted to get to and then try and work out how to get there and see what the obstacles were and really start to plan um on sort of on the fly and so playing through the game the the narrative at, at the very end i i really liked but through the game it was inconsequential as it often is in many stealth games for me because it's the mechanics and the world and the art in this game that all just feeds into this notion of you being um invited to to play in in what in many ways is a sandbox game even though it's not open world even though it's not necessarily what you would think of 
it's about, you know, I said I, I liked exploring backwards on the paths and just making sure I'd sort of uncovered all of the fog from the map and knew where I was going and found the secrets because it was such a joy just to moment to moment plan where you were going next, how you were going to do it, try it. If it failed, I'm the sort of person who would restart, but I didn't need to. There were there were ways around that. You could very quickly break line of sight and get away. Um, and it just... While while retaining a challenge that I think was was necessary because otherwise it would have felt too pedestrian, um, it it invited you to to play around and to experiment and to exercise creativity in in an unusual way in terms of um, in terms of games. Often creativity we think of actually having to create something, whereas in this case creativity is just flexing the muscles they've provided you to flex. Um, yeah. I, Honestly, can't think of of much to fault the game on anything like maybe the early early on the narrative. It really didn't affect my um, my opinion of the game. It didn't affect my experience because my experience was all about everything they were giving me, not maybe what what wasn't quite so high on the list. Um, I think it's a massive achievement, and I think it goes to show that with a, an intent to make a particular game from the beginning and a willingness to throw out what isn't necessary. That iterative process Nels talked about um, in in doing that really, it, you know, a fairly small team has produced what may be one of the best stealth games, if not, you know, tying up there for the best stealth game I've ever played. Um, and I've recently been playing Batman uh, Arkham Origins Blackgate. I had hoped, my hope above hope was that that game was going to be almost pretty much Mark of the Ninja skin for Batman. It's not, and that's a real shame because um, the the three-word review that we had from Sir Clownfoot, I am Batman, kind of sums up how I feel about this game. Batman is vulnerable. He's one man. He, he can be, you know, uh, defeated, killed, but he is also very, very powerful. And that that sums up how I feel about Mark of the Ninja. is is just a fantastic game that makes you feel like that sort of legendary character um, as a player, and not many games can can do that effectively. I don't think. Really enjoyed it. If you hadn't gathered, <laughs> uh, yeah, just just loved an awful lot about it. Really, uh, really fond of it, and uh, and glad to have picked up the the special edition, which I would recommend. Uh, I think available on both Xbox and PC. Um, extra level and a few extra toys a few extra gadgets that just slightly again prompt the player to think in different ways about how to to play the game well worth a look for everyone including non-stealth fans it's amazing the number of people who say I'm not a fan of stealth games but and then Mark of the Ninja is what they bring up Um, yeah yeah fantastic game there's this great quote from uh, a video uh, by Super Bunny Hop uh, Super Bunny Hop did a retrospective on Metal Gear Solid 3 and and one of the lines that really stuck with me in that video was if Skyrim is an ankle deep ocean then Metal Gear Solid 3 is the Mariana Trench just the idea that despite the fact that it's this linear thing there is so much depth to that game and I feel like that quote really applies to Mark of the Ninja as well Despite the fact that there are distinct levels and it follows quite a linear path in terms of progression, the stuff you can do in this game is just 
so liberating. The the amount of tactics that you can employ, the amount of options at your disposal, just makes this feel so open and so up to player interpretation. For me, and I, I know this is kind of... Uh, verging on hyperbole but i think mark of the ninja is to stealth games what super meat boy is to to 2d platformers it kind of sets the gold standard that everyone else has to follow um just in terms of the way it uses mechanics that have already been previously established in uh, other stealth games, just the way it improves on those mechanics, but also the things that it adds to the genre and the things that it says, like, why why are you doing this? Why are you hindering the player in these certain ways? And why are you forcing the player into an action sequence or a boss fight when it's much simpler to just vary up the experience with a stealth set piece? or add something that makes stealth more difficult um it's so well designed on on so many levels my one uh, the one area where i think it's slightly weak and i brought that up while nels was here was that the story is kind of non-existent until right at the very end um and it's clear that the story wasn't a focus um and i'm sure um nobody who developed that game minds me saying that but yeah it's disappointing that there wasn't more setup to that conclusion uh, throughout the game the conclusion itself though is really interesting and uh, as as people have said uh, it casts a, a new light on uh, the events that preceded it just it it's a game that i think i'm going to shove in front of people and say this is what good design looks like this is what you do when you make a stealth game going forwards uh highly recommended if you haven't played this game even if you don't like stealth games like james already said go and buy it it's cheap i i i bet you can get it for like 5 pounds now if you look uh, look hard enough. Uh, it's on sales all the time, and so forth and so on. It's it's kind of near masterpiece levels for me. It's it's just really brilliant. In in lieu of um, what Darren was saying, uh, just a, a short aside uh, about sort of old ninja games. Um, at, at the end, I only realised um, today actually replaying the final level um, for a, for a umpteenth time. Um, the, the the final costume change you have after the um the final tattoo Sumi's put on, um Ninja actually has a, a big sort of cloth scarf around his neck and, and otherwise is bare chested. Um which, which is one of I think the few references in the game, uh direct references at least, uh to another game. I'm sure that's a reference to Legacy of Cain. Um and it just goes to show the sort of um history that the the people at Clay Entertainment and the sort of fondness they have for where stealth games come from and where where uh, action platformers come from and how they tried to sort of blend those two together in a, in a fairly effective way, a very effective way. Um, so, yeah. Okay, well, that's the end of the podcast. So that just leaves me, Joshua Garrett, to, uh, Garrett I'll say to start again. <laughs> that's your own name. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
That's the end of the podcast, and that just leaves me, Joshua Garrity, to say thank you to Darren and James for joining us, and another thank you to Nels Anderson for joining us. I think he added a lot to the. I think he added a lot to the discussion, and uh, he was a, he was really great to have on to have some insight into the behind the scenes of a game like that. So. We'll leave you with some lovely ninja music.